Welcome to Watershed's May podcast. My name is Mark Cosgrove and I'm the cinema curator here at Watershed and delighted this month to be joined by Andrew Kelly, who is the director of Bristol Festival of Ideas. Welcome, Andrew, to the podcast. Um, this is the 10th anniversary of Festival of Ideas. W- when you started it 10 years ago, did you imagine that this is something that would have an 10th anniversary? Well, you never do, really. I, I always remember when we actually started the Encounters Film Festival and we thought that was a one-off and that celebrates its 20th, 20th yeah. anniversary this year. Well, we started the Festival Ideas because we wanted to have a much stronger programme of debate and discussion in the city. We didn't want to have a traditional literature festival, although it brings some of the best elements of that. We wanted something which embraced conferences, seminars, as well as formal lectures and informal discussions. Uh, but also something which could eventually turn into a programme of exhibitions, of music events, really the wide range of activity which we now have really is that with the programme this year for the anniversary of the First World War, which I know we're going to come on and talk about. It's interesting to say where it came from, the festival. We, We were bidding to be capital of culture and we would go around the city and talk to lots of organisations and have big public sessions and so on. And it struck me that there was a hunger for this kind of discussion. So what we try and do is not just bring to Bristol experts in their fields, but you know, really celebrate what we have in the city as well. It's, it's both international and local. It's something which uh, says that we've got fantastic people in this city. Uh, and we want people from outside to come and join in discussions with them. And, I mean, have you been surprised by the audience response? Because, I mean, it seems to be really heartening that what audiences want to do is just not go and watch things. You know, they don't want to just watch films or watch theatre. or But actually people want to discuss and want to debate what the issues are. Yes, I mean, I think that it's, it's been one of the heartening things, really, from this. You know, we've had... Uh, I mean, without audiences, we wouldn't be celebrating 10 years. You know, we wouldn't be celebrating one year without... Audiences, And I think that there's now a hunger to get more and more engaged uh, with the kind of things that we talk about. I think that one of the problems we have is often our sessions are too short for that kind of thing. So we're encouraging more and more of our speakers and others to meet people in the bar afterwards, chat in more perhaps formal settings, but after the main programme and so on. Generally, the feedback is very good. We're very pleased with it. You know, whether it's a, a session for 30 people in a small room to 900 people in the Great Hall at the University of Bristol. And I, I think that I was most heartened when you had people like the director of the Hay Festival saying that they're really impressed with what Bristol does. You know, it's your peers saying that, that, that we're onto a good thing here. Mm. There's a theory that, you know, I get in the cinema world, which is, oh, the audiences are online now. The, everything's online. Everything's available so they don't want to, and it's as though they don't want to then engage. But what the festival seems to have really demonstrated is that people do want to come together and discuss it face to face. I think I think this is one of the interesting things. It's also the thing I suppose I fear most of all, really, because I think you can see any number of talks online. You can see TED Talks, you can see lectures, even lectures that are live streamed. You still have a big audience there. I think I think that this is this is one of the, the very interesting areas. I, I, the comparison with cinema is very important, really, and a very good one because I'm someone who loves the cinema. I go to the cinema a lot. But I watch sometimes a film on a DVD or, you know, on an iPad or something like that. But I think there's nothing better than the collective experience of being in a place with others and enjoying learning from participating in a particular session. So I think I think there will always be a case for the public gathering, the public event, the, the groups of people coming together. 
And I don't, I don't see that ever going, actually. And I think, funny enough, as, as people more and more live their lives online, I think that that kind of public outing involvement will become much more important for people. And the, the other thing that I've really noticed in the festival is that you, you're, it's happening across the city. There's a lot of venues that you're, you're working with. Was I think in the early days there was a couple, you were using Watershed, maybe the Anofini, but it's really expanded. I mean, what, what is that for you brought to the festival? Well, it's, it's partly um, what's available when we have speakers available, but it's also a, a wish to try and work with a very wide range of organisations across the city. We don't work with them all. I think that's there's others we do. But, for example, we've recently launched a new programme with Spike Island on debut novelists, perhaps one of the hardest group of events to sell really and you're, you you don't get huge audiences for debut novelists but nonetheless it's something which Spike Island helps us deliver. Obviously when we want to do film events we prefer to do them at Watershed. You've got the the capacity and the, the technology and the, the team behind that to do them but if we want a big event we'll use somewhere like St George's. If we want somewhere that we know we'll get 900 people for and that's Quite rare, but you know mm. we do, you do achieve you do that. Achieve that yeah. um, we'll use the Great Hall of the University of Bristol, and I think that you're also affected by the different programming wishes of those venues. So Watershed, we work very closely with on perhaps film events. One of my favourite events was we had Philip French, the departing ed- uh, film critic of the Observer, our, our media partners, who talked about his upbringing in Bristol and how this really led to his love of cinema. And I thought that was one of the best events for a number of reasons. It it integrated an interview with film clips, which I, I love doing. It was about Bristol, but it was also about the wider world. And it was about the cinema, which of all the art forms, I think, of the certainly of the 20th century, was the one that uh, had the widest appeal, had the most ideas, and frankly, was the most uh, enjoyable to, to, to experience. Mm. No, I remember that, and that connection straight into Bristol, that, uh, which I'd forgotten about with Philip French, and just bringing that back into the cinema and into, into Bristol was, was fantastic. It's very important. And I would say also, you know, we, when we did, for example, Peter Higgs, who won the Nobel Prize last year for the, the Higgs boson, mm. or whatever we call it, and the Large Hadron Collider, the work they're doing at CERN, he went to school in Bristol, and he always said that you know it was his upbringing here and the inspiration he learned from Paul Dirac, who went to the same school as him, who also won the Nobel Prize for physics. Um, you begin to have this remarkable story developing about this city at the same time as people can come to the event and actually not be aware or interested in that connection at all. We, we, have, we have a strand called Bristol Genius, which is about celebrating and promoting the good work that happens in the city, and that can be something which happened a long time ago or it could be happening today yeah. and that's something we've we've been very keen to promote as well for this year the 10th what what can people expect in um in may uh, the festival ideas well we've got a um, very eclectic range really you know we from mark mode talking about being a film critic through to sessions on the wonder of physics and the new work that's going on we've got uh, Irvin Welsh talking about his fiction just as we have James Lovelock at the age of 94 coming to talk about his life in science and this coincides with a new exhibition at the the Science Museum there's a big program of uh, events around new wave feminism it's interesting that Certainly, it's interesting we have another wave of feminism now, but also that it's often very centred on somewhere like Bristol. Bristol has always been a very interesting city for that. It's certainly a welcoming city for that kind of politics and debate. And I'm very pleased that we're celebrating 
the work of Integrate Bristol and the young women who have campaigned, often in the face of some hostility against female genital mutilation. And we're, we're celebrating their work on the 17th of May. We try to be very wide in May. We have specialist festivals elsewhere in the year. In November, we have our specialist economics festival. Um, and of course, we'll be doing a lot of work around the First World War centenary as well. Well, let's talk about that because it is also um, the commemoration of uh, World War I, um, 2014 being 100 years since the start of World War I. And that does focus and feature quite prominently this year. What are you putting on in the Festival of Ideas in well, May for We really for wanted to have a big programme about the First World War because I think if anything, um, it's, it's the First World War and what it led to which created the rest of the century for all of us really, even those of us who had no direct relationship with the war were affected in one way or another. And of course, all our families in one way or another would have participated in that war, whether you objected to it or fought in it uh, or worked at home um, or were involved in the aftermath, uh, whatever. So we're looking in May at a number of things. We're very keen to, throughout the year, to provoke some debate. And one of the things I'm most pleased about is that we're showing the complete Blackadder goes forth because there was a big row earlier on in the year when Michael Gove criticised uh, what he felt was the overuse of Blackadder in history teaching in schools, for example. Um, I have to say, I've not encountered many teachers who use it. And I think that if anything, it would be used as a, as a way into the discussion, as all good programmes like that are. So we've got that and we've got a panel discussion um, that's taking place as part of that. And we've got a few other things happening. We're looking at the, the, the road to war. We're looking at the, the trigger, the, the point when the Archduke was shot with, a, with someone who's just written a brilliant book uh, on this subject, as well as people who have looked at this in, in fictional terms. And we're also showing another film, Till the Boys Come Home, uh, about the... Which, which is a Bristol um, production. Absolutely, which um, is uh, about the boys of Midsummer Norton, and includes Harry Patch. And again, one of those unique stories about the city, I always think, where Harry Patch, who was the last person to die who experienced the war, certainly in England, he, um, after the war, helped build the Wills Memorial Tower up at the University of Bristol. So it's, um, there's a lovely connection mm. there as well. So it's a small part of our programme. The commemoration is going to be ongoing for you. There's other, I know that you're doing some film screenings with us um, later in the year, so it will be something that's ongoing. The autumn is the strongest period. It's when the exhibition opens at M Shed. It's when um, we'll have the, the final parts of the exhibition at the Royal West of England Academy. There'll be a new book we're publishing, which we're giving away free of charge about Bristol stories in the war, lots of school projects, lots of projects with companies, um, lots of debates and, and provocations and talks and a, a new website, bristol2014.com has just started, although it's, it's just a holding page, we'll be putting more on it in June and July. So I think we've got the largest programme in the country that reaches the most people and has the most extensive range of activities. Not most valuable, I would say, in terms of financial terms, that's, uh, that's going into to other places. But in terms of reach and activity, I think we've got the largest. But it's also that what you mentioned is it's opening up a discussion about it, because it can be that one commemorates by being quite solemn or being, you know, and there's also this revisionist side of it going on. So having a look at things like um, Blackadder uh, is, is opening up a discussion about, you know, historically how you uh, think about 
um, that period. And of course, it's one of your specialisms as a as a as a published author on uh, the cinema in World War One. So it's going to be interesting for you, I guess, to see what the audience responses are to that. But but also we're showing Paths of Glory, um, the Stanley Kubrick film, which is seen as one of the great anti-war. And that was one of the sentiments that sort of seems to come out from film about World War One. I. I mean, how, how does that film for you, um, you know, deal with World War One, and what, what what's Kubrick trying to say? I think that there are three truly important films uh, out of the many hundreds, thousands made about the First World War. The All Quiet on the Western Front, which an American film which looked at the German experience of the war. La Grande Illusion, Jean Renoir's film from 1937 which uniquely amongst films about the First World War doesn't feature the battlefield at all. It's set in prison camps. And then Paths of Glory, made in 1957, released in 1957, by a very young Stanley Kubrick, only 29, uh, when he made it. And he'd already made other films as well. The cinema of the war tended to follow, the, the first of all, the propaganda needs of countries. So, you know, the, in the war itself, most cinema was given over to, to propaganda. After the war, you had a, a period of time when people didn't really want to talk about this. There were some films made, of course. We're showing Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse in November. Uh, and we're also showing The Big Parade, which was one of the big turning points for cinema of the war. Uh, but when the, the war memoirs began to come out, uh, eight, ten years after the war ended, you began to have established the, the disillusionment period about the, the war. And th this was the memoirs of... Soldiers yeah. from the front line. Yeah. yeah, people who had experienced the conflict directly. Yeah. And it's interesting that those who, uh, certainly Kubrick didn't experience the conflict directly, he was a, he was a young man, but um, Louis Milestone had served in the Signal Corps and then he made All Quiet on the Western Front. Uh, Jean Renoir was involved in the war. I think the memoirs, the Robert Graves and the, the Eric Maria remarks and the many others which came out, you really couldn't read any of those and come away with a, any other view that this was horror, a waste of a nation's youth. I mean, there is a revisionist phase going on now. That's more, I think, about the need to fight the war to prevent German takeover of Europe. I may be doing them a disservice, but I think it's very difficult to, to portray the war as anything but pretty much a disaster for those who were involved, although we are obviously reflecting all views. Kubrick's film is very important because it came actually after the Second World War as well, um, and it's incredibly brutal. It's based on a true story in the French army, though based on a on novel published in the mid-30s, which was also a stage play which flopped. Uh, the novel is very good, and I'm pleased to see it's back in print. And its basic story is, is um, a French colonel wants another medal for his chest. He's ordered to take what's called the Antille, an impossible task. Um, the soldiers are uh, told to go over the top, led by Kirk Douglas. And um, they some go... Uh, others stay in the trench and others who've gone over the top fall back. And at that point, the French command, desperate for his medal, orders an attack on his own troops uh, by cannon fire. And um, this sends some of them back over. But anyway, that's the, the story ends with a, with a retrenchment. Um, it's only later that the, the high command, the very high command of the French army, learns about this through Kirk Douglas's efforts. But in the meantime, they, because of the supposed cowardice, They've ordered that three of the troops are shot for cowardice and Douglas, Colonel Dax, the party plays, yeah, defends them. But it's a, it's, it's a well-known story to be able to say that uh, that, that defence doesn't work. So it's, it shows the, the horror of the war. It shows the, 
venality of the high command. Um, it's incredibly well made. Uh, you know, both All Quiet on the Western Front and, and Paths of Glory had the best battle scenes in them as films. And it had this huge impact, but in many ways a negative end. It was banned in a number of countries. The French hated it for perhaps obvious reasons. And um, it had a struggle to get releases around the world. In fact, I think it was it, its, its DVD release was, was delayed for many years. So that would have been 40 or so years after the First World War that the film could still have that impact about that, that subject matter. Still incredibly sore, you know, I mean, and particularly with the French. I mean, you would also, the French at this time, remember, were, were having their own, facing their own anti-colonial struggles. Yeah. They'd been accused of all sorts of things in the Second World War of uh, collaborating with the Germans. And we were in the midst of a Cold War as well. So I think that any film which showed Western forces in that light would have been quite difficult. We'll be showing uh, Kubrick's Pass of Glory on the, from the 23rd of May and Andrew's going to be doing uh, an introduction and a discussion about it, so look out for details of that. And you can find out uh, more information on the Festival of Ideas at the website ideasfestival.co.uk and you can find out more about the films coming up at watershed.co.uk. Thanks very much, Andrew, and that's all for this month. <laughs>